Motivational quotes abound in all kinds of forms. And I came across this one recently. Nothing in the world is more common than unsuccessful people with talent. So someone was given this as a motivational quote. What do you make of it? <laughs> do you just want to turn to your neighbour and just discuss what, how, what do you understand by that? You're scratching your head a bit. Go on, take a few seconds. What, what do you make of that? Anyone would like to receive this as a motivational quote? (laughs) What do we understand by it? There's a lot of potential, thank you. Yes, there is a lot of potential. Okay. What do we mean by success? That's a good one, observation. Being successful can depend on luck more than talent. (laughs) Opportunities. Okay. Well, I did some digging around of where this came from. And it's attributed, one is attributed to Calvin Coolidge, uh, the 30th US president, And it comes from here, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. (laughs) Persistence and determination are omnipotent. Gosh, that's a big word for them. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. There's another sermon in that. We're not going to go there. However, more recently, Banksy took it. Nothing in the world is more common than unsuccessful people with talent. Leave the house before you find something worth staying in for. (laughs) In other words, get out there. Make the most of what you have. So, quite apart from this sermon, uh, having been shown this, that quote, I did ponder it for a while. Oh, I need a, can you give me a blank? Just put it blank for the moment, please. Thank you. So, But when I started to work on this sermon, I thought, actually, there is a connection. So, more of that a little bit later. There are two versions of our parable in the Gospels. The one we heard this morning comes from Matthew. It also appears in Luke 19, slightly different version. 
And you might want to take your time at some point to read them side by side. They address similar issues, but they draw out different aspects. Both are addressing the time of the kingdom. Jesus told this parable towards the end of his earthly ministry. And after all that he had been saying about the coming of the kingdom, people were expecting it to come any day, in an instant. They were assuming it was going to be imminent. But what Jesus wanted people to understand is that it was going to take time. But what are we to make of this parable? What follows as he tells this story is more like watching a Palestinian version of The Apprentice. But thankfully we're not accountable to an Alan Sugar character. So Jesus tells this parable. And as we understand, a man is going away. He is clearly extremely wealthy. And he is going away for a long time. It's unspecified. It's not unusual in the days when travel was even more unpredictable than today. If someone was going on a long journey, you had no idea how long they were going to be away and when they were going to come back. You had no way of making contact with them. Once they were gone, that was it. And you had to trust that they were okay and they were going to come back. But we understand in this parable that Jesus is talking about himself. And he has been telling his disciples, I am going away, but I am going to come back. But he's talking about the kingdom. And so before this man travels, he calls the three servants to him and he entrusts his wealth to them. And the important thing is he entrusts it according to their ability. This parable brings out that we are all different. But it's not that one is more valuable than another. It's just that we are different. And different people are accorded different responsibilities. And so, to the first, of course, our translation has turned it into bags of gold. It was talents. And talents were the heaviest, largest value money um, that you could get at the time. And five talents was a huge amount of money. Commentators differ on how much a talent is worth, but it seems to be at least half a life's working time of what a labourer would earn in half a lifetime is a talent. It's a lot of money and this servant has been given five talents to another two to another one and it makes it sound like well one talent's not very much but actually even one talent was a lot it was a lot to be given all in one go and then the man went off on his journey They're not told what to do with it, but they are entrusted with it. Then, 
notice what happens next. The man, both the man with the five talents and the man with the two talents go out at once, immediately. They don't waste any time. They've been entrusted with this amount and they are going to put it to work. And so they go and they start doing whatever they need to do. It seems that the man had chosen wisely according to ability. Because as we read, the man with five talents makes five more. The man with two talents makes two more. And then we come to this third man. The one with one talent, still a lot. And he digs a hole and hides his master's money. Why? We're not told. But we could speculate, perhaps in a time of volatility, he was avoiding financial risk. I mean, this week we have seen... Events at Parliament, immediately people went to the markets, saw the pound rise, saw the pound fall. The two go hand in hand. Maybe he was looking to be the hero because he'd preserved his funds. Hadn't done anything with them, but he'd preserved them. So maybe he was wise to play it safe. On the other hand, though, perhaps having seen the other two servants receive more than him, he felt devalued himself. He felt jealous. And instead of seeing the worth in what he had been given and doing something with it, he chose to take the easy route, bury it, forget it and then get on with living his life as he wanted to lead it. You see, responsibility comes at a cost. Oh, Siri thinks I'm talking to him. Okay. But there is something also much deeper going on here which comes clearer when the man returns from his trip and calls the servant in to give account. The first comes in and says, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've made five more. Well done, says the master. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Actually, joy is a better translation. Second says, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have made two more. And again, the master responds, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness or your master's joy. Notice. These men were not, reco- not rewarded for their success, even though in our terms we would count it as success. But they were reco- rewarded for their faithfulness. You see, in those days, people would have known where they'd got the money from and who they represented. And you can imagine the temptation. This man has gone on a long journey. And it's fine at first, isn't it? You keep going and you work and you do what you're supposed to do. 
He's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. Look ready. But he doesn't. And you carry on working. He's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. But he doesn't. And you can imagine in communities like that, people would start to notice they've got a huge amount of money. What would it matter if you just spent some of it? You've got enough now to reward the master when he comes back, if he comes back. Why don't you enjoy a bit? Why don't you take life easy? And then the more that he is away, the longer you can see people perhaps start to say, is he really coming back? He's been away a long time now. What about just starting to use that money? You can imagine the temptation, can't you? You can imagine the conversations. But these two men, it seems, were faithful. They kept their focus on the master who said he was going to come back. They trusted he was going to come back. And they worked to that end. They never gave up. But when the third man comes in, he says, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, you can have it back. The perception of this third man was so very different. You see, this third man didn't experience the master as generous, as joyful, as encouraging, as affirming. He had made his decision, he had been given something, but he chose to do nothing with it. And having been unfaithful, he passed the buck of self-pity and he blamed the master. His view of the master was skewed because of the choices he had made. But notice the man who had not been shown as anything but hard in this parable so far did nothing to try and change the man's perceptions. He left him with his distorted view. Psalm 18 gives us some insight into this. Thank you. Psalm 18, verses 25 to 26, speaking of the Lord, the psalmist writes, To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show yourself shrewd and what the psalmist is saying in this context is that a community's attitudes and ethical behavior the way they are influences how they see God and his revelation to of himself to them the way we live 
our attitudes will affect our view of God. And that was the third servant's problem. If I continually compare myself to others, I am going to feel discouraged. That can lead to self-pity, which is actually a form of pride because it puts me at the centre and how I look at the world, how I look at others. But there's always going to be people who are better than us. There's always going to be someone who's got more gifts than me, seem able to be more fruitful, who can do everything I can do a hundred times better. But God doesn't call us to look at the other. He calls us to be faithful with what we have. He calls us to put him at the centre. So how do we do that? As the parable indicated, talents are gifts. Do we see those abilities that we have as gifts from God? Commentators vary whether they are the God-given talents that everyone has, regardless of faith, or whether they're the spiritual gifts. But actually, if everything comes from God, then all our abilities are for the use of God. They are from him and to use as we see fit. Gift talents are also valuable. When we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves with others, we think, well, I can't do much. But if we take what we have and see them as a gift from God, then they are of value. And they will have value when we put them to use. Value for the kingdom. Value to make a difference. It can be something very simple. Somebody who is able to be encouraging can make a huge difference. Someone who is able to serve with a smile, gently, encouragingly, makes a difference. As well as other gifts as well. But talents are also responsibilities. We are given gifts in order not to live for our joy, for our enjoyment, but actually to use them to help others see the kingdom and to bring in the kingdom that others may know God's love. But to use our talents takes faith. It calls us to have courage, to step out and do something with them. It's very easy just to to say, I'll just play it safe. Keep them to ourselves. Because to step out in faith puts us in an uncomfortable place, out of our comfort zone. This is new. I don't know how this is going to go. And actually, we then have to trust. We would much rather play it safe, wouldn't we? Be in control. But God calls us to step out. 
And if we follow that parable through, the use of the talents leads to joy. When we step out in faith and we try something new and we see the fruit, we see that that talent grows, we see that others um, see a bit of God, there is joy in that. We have a sense of fulfilment. It might be what we do in our work, but it, it means how we do our work. But it also leads to more responsibilities. The Lord says, come and share in my joy. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of many. What does that look like? It's all quite out there, isn't it? What does it look like? Well, it depends on us, doesn't it? It really, really depends on us. Here's a simple example. Last Friday night, Sue, Susan, Helen and Michelle had got together as people who are very talented with crafts, but they had a desire to use their gift to enable others to experience a sense of well-being and wholeness that can be found in God. So they put their gifts together, they took a step of courage and demonstrated faithfulness in using their talents for the kingdom. And I think it would be fair to say you found joy in doing that. What will be the fruit We don't know. But they took a step of faith. And if I look round this church, I can indeed say Broadway's got talent. Because there are many gifts. I'm just going to tell one story this morning. But we could tell others. On Friday, Chris and Trish will use their talents and their experience to share with others. There are those who serve in many different ways. There are those with, um, who take that talent and offer up their day-to-day lives, as we all are encouraged to do, whether it's church work or whether you term it as secular work. Is there such a divide if God is Lord of our lives? Wherever we are, whatever we do, can we use what God has given for his glory. Mother Teresa was interviewed by journalists and asked how she kept going knowing she could never meet the needs of the dying in Kolkata. Her response was, God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful and that's what he calls all of us wherever our sphere wherever we are day to day he doesn't call us to be able to produce but he calls us to be faithful to him there will always be more work than we can do but how are we living today So what are we working towards? 
How do we feel about our talents? Do we know what we have been given? Do we value them? How are we using them? And are we aware of the Lord's longing for us to share in his joy as we step out, as we try new things, as we look for ways to serve? It might be as a church community, but it might be in our day-to-day lives too. We started with nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. But I want to say to you, but we're not a common people. We are a called people. And this is what God has done for us. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. What difference would it make. If we offered every aspect of our lives. In order that we might receive this acclamation for ourselves. Well done. Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's joy. Amen. As we move.